So sanctification is used in the Old Testament extensively, right? We hear this phrase, sanctify yourselves, or sanctify the Lord, or sanctify your hearts, or sanctify this. You sanctify the least, the priests and the Levites. The least, that's the abbreviation for priests and Levites, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, trying to wake up this morning. Here we go. And uh, so this concept is used extensively in the Old... Hey, the Himes are here. Good to see you. Sorry. <laughs> This makes me happy. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I've missed out. I just I don't pay attention all the time. So, so um, <laughs> sanctification, though, I'll read you the longer definition, is the process of God setting the believer apart to become holy or to look like Jesus Christ, and it begins at the moment of salvation and ends at glorification. Um, and we get this concept in sports as well. Um, if you're familiar with the game of basketball, the goal of the game of basketball is to what? Put the ball in the hoop, right? The goal of the game of football is to what? Not miss a field goal on the last second of the game, right? Yeah. No, the goal of football is to get the ball across the goal line. The goal of hockey is to get the puck in the net. Well, the goal of Christianity is to look like Jesus Christ. That is the objective. That is the process that God is taking us through so that we look like Jesus Christ. Um, and there are a lot of different perspectives on sanctification, and it really kind of tips your hat toward what your theological persuasion is. Um, John Wesley taught that uh, entire sanctification was possible. Another phrase for this is sinless perfection. So you probably met somebody that, that thought or believed um, that once you got saved, you could mature to the point where you no longer sinned. And I think that is a wonderful theology. I would love to believe something like that. My only problem is I've never met anybody that could say, I'm the example of this. And there's just an evidence problem there for me. It's just not there. I don't think it's there in the scriptures either. But uh, Catholics believe that a very close union with God uh, can result in a moral perfection. So maybe not every action is perfect, but morally you intended it to be perfect. So it's kind of a split the difference between not and yes. And I'll read you something from the Baptist Faith and Message. It says, uh, <clears throat> sanctification is the process where the believer progresses, here's the quote, toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. So a lot of, a lot of rounding on the corners allowed in that definition. There's a lot of space for uh, us to be sinful creatures that we are. So, so let's look at the words. Uh, the first word up is uh, kadash. Uh, it means to consecrate or sanctify, prepare, dedicate, to be holy, to be sanctified, to set apart or be devoted. Um, this word's used 172 times in the Old Testament, so it is all throughout. I just picked a couple verses that, were, that we'd be able to be familiar with. Genesis 2, 3. So, uh, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So, when God sanctified the seventh day, what does that mean? You just set it apart, right? This is... This is special for a very specific purpose. So going back to my example at the beginning, um, where do you keep all the stuff that doesn't fit with everything else in your house? We typically call this at our house the junk drawer. Anybody have a junk drawer? Yes? Does, it, do, does everybody in your house know where the junk drawer is? Why is it important that everybody knows where the junk drawer is? Because that's where you put the stuff that it just doesn't fit anywhere else. You can't sanctify those things to a specific spot. Okay? You can't set them apart because I don't need a whole drawer for stamps. 
right? It's just throw them in the junk drawer. That's fine. That's where they go. Um, those types of things. So, so God sets aside this seventh day for rest. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 30, 30, uh, people can be sanctified. Uh, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may be ministered to me as priests. Um, and, and I think 2 Kings ten twenty is a really, really sad verse because a lot of times we think that these words can only be used for God and for the purpose of salvation, but they have lots and lots of uses in the scriptures. 2 Kings ten twenty says, And Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. <laughs> Sanctify this time and this place for Baal. And you go, well, that's sad. Yeah, this guy hijacked this really great word, and he uses it to worship a false god. So just because we're talking about salvation doesn't mean that these words can't be used completely and totally opposite of what God desires them to be used. If you think about it, that's Satan's plan all along, right? Is to take the things of God and to turn them toward a different use. He wants to take you and turn you for a different use. Um, so it's a, it's a very challenging thing. So the Greek word, there's really a couple of them for sanctify, uh, hagiazo, uh, to render or to acknowledge, to separate, here's your blank, from profane things and dedicate to God. To separate uh, from profane things and dedicate to God, to purify or to cleanse externally. <clears throat> now, how many of you celebrated Thanksgiving this week? Everybody? Yes. When the Thanksgiving meal was over, was that a nice time? You're like, yeah, I'm full, I'm happy, everybody's good. Even relatives that disagree, when you're full, you tend to get along a little bit better, right? Just, just a little bit. But when you walked into the kitchen, oh, yeah, we have that to deal with, right? Now, are any of you do the dishes as you go kind of people? Like you use, holy crap, it's amazing. Like this whole center section, okay, that's cool. Um, so the next time we have a Sunday school lunch, you guys are the servers, right? <laughs> this is the way this works. Um, so th- this concept of setting it aside, uh, separating profane things and dedicating them to God, when the dishes are stacked up in the sink after Thanksgiving, you don't just take them and put them back in the cabinets, right? Can you imagine? Can you Just think about that for just a second. Two weeks later, open the cabinets. Whoa! <laughs> Is that gravy? Was that gravy? I don't know. Can you imagine? This would be horrible. You're taking something and you're taking it out of its intended place and taking it out of its intended purpose and you're putting it somewhere else. And that's what this looks like when we get it wrong. It looks like when you open the cabinet to our lives and you look in your life and you go, ooh, that shouldn't be there. That's not right. That's just completely out of place. So when sanctification goes wrong when we are not submitting toward this process it's not very good at all so john 17 17 is a good uh, verse here sanctify them by your truth your word is truth so this is jesus talking here he's actually praying this is the the, uh, prayer before he goes uh, to the garden sanctify them by your truth your word is truth he's praying for us uh, for our sanctification for this process uh, what's the next verse in your handout? First Thessalonians 5.23. Uh, now may the God of peace sanctify you completely, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Second Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if any cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared 
for every good work. So, so what does it sound like this purpose of sanctification is? So, so we're going to look like Jesus just to look like Jesus, right? We get there and we're like, ta-da, I look like Jesus. It's all good. Fantastic. And we stand still, right? Is that it? What do we do? We get to work, right? Because Jesus was not a lazy guy. If you read through the Gospels, you quickly come to the conclusion that he's a pretty busy fellow. He stayed moving a lot. He interacted with a lot of people. He put himself outside of where safe places were very regularly. And he was constantly working. So that was the verb form of the word. The noun form of the word is Strong's 38. This means holiness or sanctification. Um, Greek word is hagamasos. Uh, I mispronounced that. Hagiasmos. There we go. Uh, Romans 6, 9. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. <clears throat> so if we're being asked to present ourselves, and that word holiness is the word for sanctification, if we're being asked to present ourselves for sanctification, we have a part in this, right? We participate in this process. Specifically, we participate in it through mortification, the word that we're going to look at in just a second. But God is placing us in a space for a specific purpose to look like Jesus so that we do the work. Now, Imagine if Christianity consisted of you accept Christ, and as soon as you accept Christ, boom, you go right to heaven. You go, well, that's not too bad. We are for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and yeah, it kind of stinks for everybody else on the planet, right? Who's going to tell them? Who's going to live this out for them? Who's going to show them? Who's going to care for them and serve them and love them and walk them through the gospel? Well, we are. That's what we do. That's why we don't get immediately taken out of here. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and then verse 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Oh, so what's God's will for my life? Sanctification. Yep. There you go. Doesn't matter what job you take. That's almost completely irrelevant. We all worry about that so much. It's ridiculous. Um, sanctification is a whole lot more important. That you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. And then verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, uncleanness, but in holiness. And that's the same word for sanctification. Um, that sanctification and holiness are the exact same thing. Because if you think about what does holy mean? Holy means set apart. It means different. It means for a specific intended purpose. The, the words are very, very, very similar together in the New Testament. So that's sanctification. And sanctification starts when you say, uh, Christ, I trust you, I turn from my sin. Sanctification begins. You are placed into a position of becoming like Jesus. And that ends when you see him face to face. And it's going to last every single day from now until then. And it's not necessarily going to be comfortable, but it's necessary. And it's good for us, and it's good for those around us. So, the next word is mortification. Sounds like a negative word, doesn't it? It is. It's a negative word that's very good. Mort, morta. Anybody know what it means in Latin? Death, right? Yeah, the definition is man kills. <clears throat> You're like, kills? There's death in the middle of salvation? Uh-huh. There's death at the end of it, too. 
mortification is the intentional and purposeful work of a believer, powered by the Holy Spirit, to put to death the sin in a believer's life. Packer's got a great quote on mortification. I didn't put it in your notes, but he said, The Christian is committed to three things, a lifelong fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And mortification is the Christian's assault on the second. He's like, that's pretty good. That's, the, that's, the, that's what we're doing. We're fighting against the flesh. So the words here, uh, the first is 2289. The Greek word is uh, thanatuo, uh, to put to death, to render extinct by death, to be liberated from the bond of a thing. Um, the first verse in your notes that's not there, did anybody turn to Romans 7, 4? They remember from last week when it's underlined you turned there? Nobody? Ah, let's just check it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's some crazy hair he's got going on there, too. That's, did you, are you just playing around, or is that, was that intentional today? That's awesome. That is awesome. That's, that, that's going to have me a squirrel moment every single time you do that, just so you, in case you're wondering. There you go. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> he's like, what's going on here? <laughs> okay. Back to Romans chapter 7. There we go. <clears throat> So Romans 7, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead, that's the word, mortification, uh, to the law through the body of Christ, right? And we've studied this extensively. We went through Galatians, is that we are dead to the law. That is not what governs us. That you may be married to another. Yes, that's better. To him, the capital H, that's Jesus, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So flip a page over to Romans 8, verse 13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that power comes through the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this is an active work that we are doing to kill the works of the flesh. You say, well, Jim, what does that look like? Well, have you ever wanted to do something to please your flesh that you knew was wrong? Yeah. Should we say this morning even? Right? I mean, we all do, right? Uh, Julie and I were, uh, the alarm went off at 6, like it does in most days at our house. Um, I typically get up a little bit earlier on Sunday morning to read over the lesson once or twice. Sometimes I'll do the handout on Sunday mornings, that kind of thing. And she leaned over to me this morning and she said, I understand now why attendance is generally so low the Sunday morning after Thanksgiving. Because I told her it would be a miracle if we had 30 people here this morning. And thank you all for coming. I appreciate your faithfulness. But you get this, right? You get that it would be easier to sleep in this morning than to come and to serve and to worship, right? That's that process of getting up out of bed. I'm going to make this real tangible for you. That process that you went through this morning of getting up out of bed and coming to church is part of mortification. It's putting to death the desires of the flesh. Because my flesh this morning, I'll be honest with you, Confession time. I wanted to sleep in. I wanted to sleep in. I did. And that process of getting up. I was mortified to come. No, 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 no. Um, I don't know what part of speech you're using it as, but that's wrong. <laughs> I was never good at diagramming the sentences. I don't know where it goes in the little line thing. but um, Yeah, so, so that's, that's what this looks like. Whenever we, whenever we say no flesh, you're not going to get that because I know that's wrong. That's mortification. And the more often we do that, the more of a habit we get into with that. 
Um, it's like anything else in life, right? The more often you practice something, the more often you are likely to be doing that. Um, I read a great quote by uh, Jared Wilson several months ago, and I've been waiting for a Sunday school lesson to use it in, and I think it fits here. Um, his wife writes a blog, and she was, she was commenting, and she said, this is something he says around the house all the time. He says, uh, brokenness will find you. Brokenness will find you. Make sure you're holding hands with Jesus when it does. And I thought, that's a really great quote. I like that a lot. Because so often we, something bad happens, and then we run and we go, oh, God, help me here, help me here. When if we'd been holding hands with him the whole time and walking the whole time, it would be, I know you got this. You know, this is okay. And, and mortification is this process of, it's, it's kind of a subset of sanctification almost, um, of walking with Christ and saying, you know what? That's not good for, for my spiritual well-being. This doesn't help my holiness. Remember last week we talked about, um, Tim Archer was sitting over here, I remember where things happened. I don't remember. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. He was sitting over here, and I asked him, uh, we're talking about disciplining children, because that's one of the marks of a believer. And I said, when you discipline your children, because he's got great kids. I think most of us would agree. For those of you that know the Archer kids, I mean, gee whiz. You know, they, got, they hit one out of the park here. It's really good. Um, I asked him, I said, when you discipline your kids, you're totally focused on their holiness, right? No. <laughs> Not focused on their holiness at all. I want to hurt them. That's what I'm focused on. You know, I'm angry. I want that behavior to stop. I want something different, right? Well, our holiness is incredibly, incredibly important. That's when we become, when we go through this process of becoming holy and looking like Jesus, Jesus is holy. He's the only man to ever walk the earth that was, that was holy. So the other verse here is Colossians 3.5. So flip over to Colossians 3.5. This is the verb form of mortify. Um, another verb form. This is necruo. <clears throat> For those of you that watch uh, Help Me Out with the movie. Wow. Pitch Black. It's not Pitch Black. It's the same character from Pitch Black. Chronicles of Riddick. Thank you. The bad guys, the baddest bad guy was the necromonger. Remember him? Yep. Same word here. Necros. The death. To die. That's how my brain works. Sorry. Got to tie it to a movie. So Colossians 3, 5, are you there? <coughs> so it says, therefore, put to death, so Paul is writing, and he's, this is a command, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now you remember how we talked about sanctification earlier and how Calvin thought that this state of sinless perfection was possible? Well, the problem that I have with that philosophy, that theology, is Colossians 3.5. Because this put to death is not a once for all. It's a keep putting it down. Keep putting it down. Um, it's, it's like a zombie almost. It just wants to rear its head up. You've got to shoot it back down again. You know, take the head off if you can, but the head's going to grow back. It's just, you know. <laughs> Men in Black 2. I'm just going to keep quoting movies now that you've, you've laughed at the joke at the wrong times. So that's, that's not good. All right, so... Uh, the third piece this morning is evidence, and, and this is the piece that I think a lot of us uh, maybe don't focus on enough to kind of help uh, sure up some questionable spots. Um, so the shorter definition of evidence is man shows, man shows. So evidence is the visible proof of a believer's salvation. So whether this is your personal experience, a testimony, physical evidence, observations of others, 
Whatever that looks like, it's the visible proof of a believer's salvation. Now, there's not a particular word that I can search for and show this. So what I wanted to do is, before we move completely out of this concept of salvation, is I wanted to make sure that that we have a little bit of homework and self-examination. So we're just going to walk through each one of these verses. I didn't have enough room on the handout to type them all out. So if you've got your Bibles, just, we're just going to open up to each one. forgot to underline them. I'm sorry. My bad. So 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Who's got it? Bree, go for it. <clears throat> It's a neat verse, isn't it? Can you read that again for me? Examine yourself to see whether you are in the Who's supposed to do the examining? Who are we supposed to examine? Ourselves. Ourselves, right? So, yeah, there's other places where we look at everybody else, but this place is, this, this is Jim focused on Jim, this is Bree focused on Bree, everybody focused on themselves. Say, go for it again. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. So to, to see whether what? Whether you're in the faith. So what's the faith? In the family. Whether you're saved, right? So how do we do that? What's the next two words? Test, Test yourselves. How many of you like tests in school? Anybody like tests in school? Okay, okay. If you knew the subject, right? If you knew the subject matter, you felt okay about the test? Generally. No, not so much. Eric's like, no, I never like tests. Never, not even a little? Okay. Um, you guys remember, you remember a couple weeks ago when Eric brought the bow and arrow in and I... Shot the target. You remember that? And I didn't kill anybody. You remember that part too? That was good. That still makes me laugh that your wife was panicked about that. It's awesome. Um, that was a test, right? Now, it was a test that I was probably, I, I actually thought I was going to fail because I'd never practiced at all, ever, with this particular tool. I was kind of nervous about it. And what, yeah, y'all were nervous too, yeah. And what you didn't notice was that Eric was, like, hitting my arm a couple of different places, going, up, up, yep, yep, okay, right there, good. He was helping me just a little bit because I, I was aimed way too low, and then I came up, and he said, nope, down, okay, right there, yep, cool. I think I'm going to do well because I've got a coach through this test. I'm not on my own through this test, right? And we have help with this test, but we're supposed to test ourselves. We're supposed to examine ourselves. We're supposed to check and see are we part of God's family or not. So John eight forty seven. Here's a couple verses that these are the tests. These are the test questions. Right. John eight forty seven. He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. So do you hear God's words? And it doesn't mean can you read the scriptures and hear them in your ears? Do you hear God speaking? See, we're into this really false assumption nowadays that God doesn't speak to us anymore. No, no, no. He speaks all the time. He's, he speaks a lot. So are you hearing God's word? 1 John 3, 14. Here's a fun one. What's that say? 1 John 3, 14. Anybody got it? Dave? You know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We love who? The brethren. The brethren. Who's the brethren? Yeah. <laughs> Not just the guys, yeah. That's the guys and the gals. The, uh, hmm, that's a tough one. He, and the rest of that verse is, he who does not love his brother abides in death. That's pretty straightforward. Okay. Romans eight fourteen. Who's got it? Romans. 
if you want to be a son of God, you've got to be led by the Spirit of God. So is the Spirit leading and guiding your life? That's part of the test. Now, here, here's my challenge to you. If, if we're reading through these verses and you're going, nope, 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 I want you to be very scared. I'll be, I'll be as blunt as I'm ever going to be in Sunday school. That means hell is in your future. Okay? This is how you know you're a believer. You go, it just got real in here, Jim. Yep, sure did. We're talking about salvation. This is literally life or death. Literally life or death. Matthew 7, 17. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So where's the fruit? Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Good fruit, bad fruit. It'll be something you can see. You go, well, I don't, I don't know where the fruit is in my life. That's not good, guys. Ephesians 2.10. Darla, you got it? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Prepared in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Where's the good works? Where's the good works? Where's the good works? James 2.26. Similar theme here. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is the evidence piece, right? Evidence is important. <laughs> evidence is critically important. So, so here's why... You, you, you say, Jim, you're harping on this. Yes, I'm harping on this. This is a big deal. I don't want anybody in my Sunday school class to go to hell. It's a big deal. Jeez, um, I cannot imagine this. Uh, I cannot imagine standing before God one day and seeing somebody in this room go to hell. I mean, this is just, this is mind, oh my goodness. Um, so why is this important? Because I want you to have confidence in your salvation. Next week, we're going to look at, and I'm not done today, so don't put everything up yet. Next week, we're going to look at eternal security and perseverance. And I am convinced, I am convinced that a lot of people don't have peace about their salvation because they're not saved. It's not because, well, I got saved and I just don't see any evidence. It's, no, you're not saved. This is the reality, guys. And... The gospel of the New Testament is not just a mental belief. It is a change of a life that produces a changed life. If there is no change, then there was no change. Who's got Hebrews 12, 6 through 8? <laughs> Can't be going back, right? Okay. Dave, go for it. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with So part of the test is, is God chastening you? Is God disciplining you? Is God getting on to you? Is there a conviction in your heart over the sin that is in our lives? Does this make sense? That's part of how we know we're Christians, is if there's that conviction there. So what's the understanding? All right, let's put all these three together. 
So God sets the believer apart and begins to work toward the goal of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's the goal. We're going through all this whole stuff so that we can look like Jesus. In conjunction with God's efforts, the believer is responsible for putting to death the works of the flesh and for visibly working out his or her salvation. You know the verse, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? There's a reason it's good for us because when we work it out, we can see it and we can look back and go, there's evidence that I am a believer that makes me stronger and more well-rooted in my beliefs and better able to be and to live out Christianity because I can see some evidence that, yep, I'm a believer and this is good. You have better believers, better Christians as a result of this. So, now at the very bottom, you've got the monergistic column. So what's God done in this process so far? Well, he's, he's known, he's predestined, he's elected, he's atoned, he's propitiated, convicted, called, regenerated, justified, re- redeemed, adopted, reconciled, and sanctified. And what do we do? We've sinned, we tell others, we've repented, we have faith, we've converted, we put the work, death, the works of the flesh, the mortification, and we have the evidence in our life. Everybody's involved in this one. So next week, perseverance and eternal security. Um, please don't miss next week. A lot of people really struggle with this concept. And, and this particular lesson is the one, uh, if you list out common beliefs in many, many denominations, this is one of the big reasons that we are Baptist, is the eternal security of the believer, the perseverance of the saints. Um, and we're really going to hit this hard because I want you to understand and how to know that you know that you know that a Christian is safe for all time. Does that work? Cool. Thanks for coming today. Make sure your name is on the handout on the table. Uh, Pray as a group and then you are dismissed.